Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. Hello, I'm Nick Curtis, the Evening Standard's Chief Theatre Critic. Welcome back to our theatre podcast. With me this week is our culture editor, Nancy Durrand. Hello, Nancy. Hello. Coming up later in the show, we're going to be talking about super high resolution at the Soho Theatre, which I strongly urge you to see. Yes, and it's a suitably emotionally rinsing look at the state of the NHS. But first, we're going to be looking at My Neighbour Totoro at the Barbican by the Royal Shakespeare Company. May has met a forest spirit called Totoro. He lives beneath the giant camphor tree in the woodland behind our house. I met him too when we were waiting for Dad's bus. This is an adaptation of the Studio Ghibli film by uh, Hayao Miyazaki. This is, I think, very much the Royal Shakespeare Company's attempt to produce a commercial hit along the lines of Matilda. Basically, two young girls are moved out of Tokyo in 1955 by their father to a rural part of Japan because their mother is ill in hospital. And there they are befriended by this huge, strange, sort of half bear, half rabbit, half one bit lion It's a woodland spirit. It's a woodland spirit. It is a a woodland spirit. But that said, it doesn't really do much. It sort of floats through the action being, you know, sort of giving them nuts to plant or, you know, sort of seeds to plant. something Um, to cuddle. And and just being sort of generally bemused by the world around it. You know, it seems to be half dominant and half bemused by the world around it. We have planted the seeds in your garden in front of the house. We thought a little forest might grow to give you some shade when you come home. And it is obviously, I think, in some ways a a manifestation of their upset and grief. It's a consoling figure conjured out of the forest by them, I think, isn't it? Here is a picture of May as a crab. May has drawn you a picture too of Totoro. There's a lot to like and, and it is very, very... It's it's visually incredible, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Um, the Totoro itself is about uh, 15 feet tall, I would say. It is magical. It's yeah. genuinely magical. And, yeah. you know, the, the these incredible puppeteers, yes. they are so good and they're sort of part of the action and not quite part of the action. And sometimes they're almost like wood sprites of their own. They're like extra sort of weird creatures and they behave like that and they kind of interact slightly you know, in a kind of fourth wally way with the audience. Um, and then they, the, the soot sprites are all just on these, they're just basically fluff on, on, on bendy sticks. sticks aren't they? Yes, but yes. they move like a kind of murmuration of starlings or something. And they, you know, you can immediately let go of the fact that you can see like 12 people you know, tramping about a stage in black outfits. Yes, they play quite sort of loosely with with the visibility of the puppeteers in a way that people did in Warhorse and, exactly. to a certain extent, Lion King all those years ago. But uh, there's a wonderful moment when a bus draws up and the guy who's playing the bus driver sort of steps out in front of it and then realises he's, he's shown himself and has to step behind it, it's back into it. And it's it's all quite funny and quite and uh, and quite charming. And as well as the soot spirits, I love the, the chickens, which are going to just rubber chickens oh on God, sticks, chickens. which just sort of flop around all over the stage. But they're, they're so funny. They're very, very charming. And they move just like chickens. They're yes. so chickeny. Yes. 
Yeah, I love they're, them. They're the yeah. most chickeny chickens we've seen on the London stage this year. <laughs> exactly. Is there an award for that? There is. Know. So, so top marks the puppeteers here. The man in charge is the wonderfully named Basil Twist. Um, we should mention <laughs> also it's directed by Felon McDermott, who yep. is, I think, I mean, he's he's not your classic RSC director. He came up through in, in his own company, Improbable Theatre, which improvised shows at the drop of, you know, from nothing, really, yeah. each evening. Um, he's a fabulously inventive director. And actually, that's interesting for something like this, which is such a faithful yeah. adaptation of the film, to the yes. point that there are the kind of filmic longers of watching the cat bus kind of float around, which, yes. which go on for way too long. Yeah. It's two hours and 45 minutes long. <laughs> that's a really long time for a show which is essentially designed for children. Yes, that's true. And I went on like a Wednesday night something and I would say there is something something over a thousand seats in the Barbican Theatre every single one was full and I maybe saw eight to twelve kids and everyone else was a grown-up I'm sure it's different on other nights but I was a bit like oh it's a cult yes <laughs> it's totally a cult I think it may well be a cult I mean I think the the, the Miyazaki films particularly do have have that cult status mm. don't they So the, the the moving force behind this stage adaptation uh, is the composer of the music for the original film, Joe Hisaishi, who was charged by Miyazaki uh, if if a stage adaptation were ever to be done, he was basically put in charge of it. And so there is quite a lot of music in the show. Yeah, there is, which I think is probably quite faithful to the original film again. And by the way, it's um, it's been adapted by uh, the writer Tom Morton Smith, who did Oppenheimer, completely different. No and, songs in that. Uh, yeah, no songs in that, as I recall. Uh, although there might be a bit of jazz. Might the thing about the music that I found was, I think it's the thing that I find annoying, actually, in the original films, which is that it feels a little bit twee. Yes. Um, to me. So, for example, when one of the girls goes missing, there's a song which is... It's sung, I think, in partly in Japanese and partly in English, and there's a song which is called Where Has She Gone? And it felt really weird and literal and completely took me out of the moment. Yes. But, you know, again, that's something very, very like the movie, and if you love the movies you'll love that. I quite like the fact that that, that uh, the score was half sung in English and half in Japanese mm, yeah, because that's it is an English language version by Tom Morton Smith of a, a very, you know, Japanese Piece story. Of work, yeah, so absolutely. I think that, that sort of bridged that gap. Really, yeah, definitely. I think. Let's, I think let's talk very briefly, if you don't mind, about the acting. Yes. It's kind of fine. I think I thought that the women playing the two girls, I think I liked them a bit more than you did, if I remember in your, I, in your um, review. I thought they were going running through every sort of cliche of child mm. acting going, you know, from the sort of slightly gawky mm. physical disorganisation to rocking on their heels to sort of yowling and, and yeah. uh, face planting all the time. But it does also feel very very um, honouring of the film. Yes. And, I, you know, I think playing children is really difficult. So they do go down that very physical route. I think they do a decent job. It's, um, I think it's May Mack, uh, who plays May, who is only four years old. She's a grown woman playing a four-year-old. It's not easy. Yeah. And um, Ami Okamura-Jones. Yes, that's right. Uh, who plays the elder sister, Satsuki. I think given what they have to work with, I think they do quite a good job. There's another yes. child role where, which I think was somewhat overplayed. The young boy. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, in a way, a production like this isn't really about that, actually. It's no. just about the kind of world weaving that you get 
on stage. I agree. It's about the imagery and about the, it's about drawing, as you say, drawing you into that world, creating that sort of magic. It does succeed to a very large extent to do that. I'm not a particular Ghibli fan. I kind of decided to watch a load of them under lockdown because lots of people love them. And I kind of watched about five or six of them. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Don't need to do that again. So I wasn't expecting much. But uh, certainly the first half of it, I was actually utterly charmed. As soon as they started riffing on the credit sequence when it opens, which is really sweet, I was sort of like, ooh, that's so lovely. And I was kind of smiling and thought it was wonderful. And my friend, who had also been a bit uh, dubious, was, uh, was, was, was also rather charmed. But there's a lot of it. There's a hell of a lot of it. There is. It's true. And I'm with you on Studio Ghibli. Half of it I find too whimsical. Half of it I find frankly creepy. Yeah, you know, bit, um, yeah. Not just the sort of supernatural element that creeps into so many of the films, including this story. And I, I went into this with a certain degree of trepidation as well because I don't really understand why so many theatres are adapting films at the moment. I think it's a very, it's a very strange dynamic that's going on. One thing I want to add about the cat bus, which is also inflated and, yeah. and hangs around, is that when it's flying away from you, you do see that it's got a rather large pair of cat testicles, which once you've seen it, you just cannot unsee. I just, I'm so glad that I didn't reread your review before I went in, because I read it again afterwards, and I hadn't noticed, and I'm really pleased, because that would have absolutely destroyed me. Yeah, that I would think. have ruined the last hour for you. <laughs> so, so there you go. There you have it. In, uh, in Studio Ghibli films, cats are unspayed. Uh, <laughs> Right, let's go to the ads. Coming up in the second half, super high resolution at Soho Theatre. We'll be back after this. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So our second show this week is Super High Resolution at Soho Theatre. Nancy, tell us what this one's about. Well, it's the story of a junior doctor working in the NHS. Uh, I mean, if you think this is going to hurt, but with a female doctor, and it's perhaps a bit less played for laughs, if you like, if something quite so grim as if this is going to hurt is played for laughs. It's not a one-woman show, but there's one person on stage pretty much all the time, which is uh, the leading role of Anna, who is the doctor, and we first meet her um, nursing a bloody nose because she's just been punched in the face by a very drunk patient uh, into whom she was trying to insert a cannula, which gives you a good 
uh, indication of what a difficult time she's having. I think it's also fair to say it sort of goes downhill for her from mm, there, doesn't yeah, which it? Is pr- which is bad. It is bad. Um, I think This Is Going to Hurt is a very useful reference point for this because it does have that sense of 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 grind to it of mm. of people being slowly ground down by the demands of a of an incredibly grueling underfunded job and underfunded service it's it is actually very funny though as well it's quite the the man who um has punched her in the nose you presume was on a stag do because she's been she's being sort of uh, apologized, apologized to, to she, yeah. by a man dressed as a leprechaun yes. who is not the puncher but he's a friend of the puncher yes um, exactly he's brother-in-law as we brother-in-law we, we, we discover, indeed, yeah. as we discover um, and he plays a larger romantic role I don't think we're giving mm. too much away to say that uh, later on well as I say things do not go particularly well for Anna I got a slight whiff of Tennessee Williams off this on the sort of, mm. from the sort of looming inevitability and the sort of grueling punishment that she's put through on this. Um, I think you said to me you didn't find it an easy watch. I found it a tough watch. I found it really affecting. I was really surprised when I came out how upset I was. Like the ending, I just kind of came out of the Soho Theatre and took myself off to John Lewis and nearly had a breakdown. I was like, I can't cope with this. It's too much. It's like, do not try and go Christmas shopping after you've seen this show at a matinee. I can recommend not doing that. But um, I think it wasn't that I kind of came out going, oh, life is so tough for junior doctors. It's not like we don't know that. You know, we're we're aware of that. We've all seen or read this is going to hurt. It's well known that this is a very, very difficult job. I think it was down to me being so deeply affected by the central performance by Jasmine Blackborough. Yes. She's almost never off the stage. She's always trying to do the right thing, make things better, help people, and at the same time crumbling before our eyes. I just found it really hard to watch. It's quite subtly done though, isn't it, as Mm. well? A lot of it is unspoken and sort of understated. Her sister appears on stage, and there are that you you understand that their father is ill and yeah. and probably dying. Um, there's a hint that something nasty happened to their mother. And yeah, you do get that feeling, don't you? But they never they ever never, say it. They never say it exactly. And unlike this is going to hurt, where the character is always sort of shoving your face in how awful mm. everything is. Here, she's all the time sort of saying, "No, it's fine. It's fine. I can cope. I'm fine." Mm. But you know, she's living in a tiny, horrible flat, mm. and you know, she's sleeping in her clothes or she's sleeping in her car. Doesn't have time to go to family. Mm events, doesn't have time to visit the sick father, things like that, isn't as invested in her sister's life or her niece's life as her sister would like. Um, It's written really, really well. I think, think as as you say, I think it's absolutely brought home by Jasmine Blackborough wonderfully. I think it's a terrific, understated, internalised performance. There's a lovely old Coronation Street line from uh, Bette Lynch who said, uh, this isn't a smile, it's a scream with a lid on it. And you felt... This was what she was yeah. doing. She was just barely containing her despair all the time. Absolutely. You know when you see someone and you just think, oh, yeah, she's 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 really got something. Yeah. I think that actress is should really be going places, actually. I'm delighted for her because the only thing I'd seen her in previously was a play called The Breach at Hampstead Theatre mm. where she was very good and mm. the play was very, very bad. That's upsetting. And... 
it's it's always a shame if you see a good performance in what in what you do not consider to be a bad piece of work. So I'm glad that here she's matched by the uh, by the material. Yeah, I really like the set. I have to say, yes. it's very very straightforward, very very simple. Um, Soho Theatre is not a big theatre, and it's just you know a, a straight across stage. It's entirely hospital curtains, so they pull them along left and right and forward and back and reveal you know one of those hideous plastic chairs perhaps with a with a patient in it or not or just a small amount of furniture which shows you a bedsit yes you know or a pub but it's all done with the curtains and it's ingenious and mm. it's simple and it's probably quite cheap yes and it's brilliant I and think. It's, it's, and I, it's done with lighting as well isn't it that yeah. just a, a switch of a curtain and a change of lighting yeah. stain, suddenly you're yeah. in it completely and the name of the designer is um, Andrew Edwards yes. um, and I found that really uh, really effective yes we should say the writer is Nathan Ellis who I think gets under the skin of a, of a female lead character yes. really well yeah brilliantly and the director is Blanche McIntyre who uh, you know very who good is very very yes I mean just a terrific director and here I think absolutely captures the very best parts of the script and sort of whizzes through the, the weaker moments, I think, yeah. in, a, in quite a clever way. One thing I did want to, to mention is the uh, is the monologues, which, again, I think are, are a very good way of, of saying quite a lot with quite a little, that you just basically see her quick-fire responses to patients quite a lot of the time saying, no, I'm not the nurse. Yes, I am a doctor. Yes, I am quite young. No, I'll get to you in time. No, I can't hurry. Yeah, what, sorry, how did, sorry, 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 continuously. It's yes. really, after a bit, you really, you kind of go, wow, you're having a terrible day. You do, but also quite funny, there's quite a lot of, it got up there accidentally. Yeah, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot with those short, stylized moments, yes. and I thought I wouldn't like them, but actually, Jasmine Blackborough, she, she sells those moments uh, in the script and completely... Like draws you in, I think. I absolutely agree. I will just add, there were some other good performances. I thought that Leah Whitaker was good as Anna's sister, Becca. She's great. She's kind of got that slightly brittle uh, but loving thing. She does it very... Yes. Everyone is very understated and do really well. And there's the, the, the sort of cute distraction character, as you say, who becomes um, a bit more important later, played by Lewis Shepard, who I think, it, I think it's his debut it's on his stage. It's his stage debut, yes. Uh, which is great. And I think, you know, considering... He has to start drunk, and drunk is really hard to do well. Yes. Um, and I think overall, across his performance, I thought he was really good, actually. He's, he has a remarkable ease on stage for somebody yeah. who's not been on the stage a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and certainly making his professional debut here. And I also want to mention Hayley Carmichael, who plays an older patient who has hurt herself. And her thread colours the whole of the play, and I think, I think it was rather well done. Agreed. I like Catherine Cusack as well, who is as a very demanding consultant who just presumes that uh, that Anna, the character, will pick up shifts mm. you know, all the as slack. required all the time, all the slack. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a really good one. I think it's a really good one. And as you say about new theatre, one goes because it's taking the temperature of now. And this show opened the night that it was announced that the NHS uh, was suffering even greater problems than it did under the, under under COVID so, mm. or under the, the, the heights of lockdown. So uh, so it did feel like it's, it's uh, bang up to the minute. Absolutely. It's actually only on until the 3rd of December, so I would urge people to get tickets because it's dead good. So would I. This has been the Evening Standards Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis. And I'm Nancy Durrant. You can find us online at standard.co.uk forward slash culture or hashtag The Leader Podcast on Twitter. The Leader Podcast will be back tomorrow from 4pm and we'll see you again next Sunday for a brand new episode.
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.